Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 30. He's Dave Bright. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation, as we get ready for week number four already, the final week, uh, weekend of September. I think it'll be, what, uh, October by the time the Steelers actually play the Houston Texans this Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. in Houston got a jam-packed show for you guys today. So if you like the two-hour two hour episodes, we're probably going to hit that mark. Dave, how you doing? A happy Friday. And where did September go to? I know. <laughs> uh, here we are already. Week four of uh, uh, the NFL season. Obviously had the uh, uh, the game uh, Thursday night uh, between the Lions and the Packers there. And uh found myself getting a little bit aggravated. You know, you're watching watching that Lions offense there. And, you know, obviously we did tape review this week of uh of the Texans. Why is it <laughs> it looks like everybody's offense? Uh we <laughs> wish the Steelers offense was uh uh was like that. It make it gets you kind of depressed there. But I mean, look, this is a two and one Steelers team. Things could be uh worse. This is definitely a winnable game on Sunday against the Houston Texans. So with that, I guess we should start uh getting the people ready for it yeah let's do it dave and just a teaser here got a couple interviews hopefully lined up here we just spoke with true doherty who is uh covers for the houston texans for houstontexans.com so we'll talk to him here in a little bit get his perspective on i think we agree a pretty underrated houston team going to this matchup and also hopefully later in the show we get to record it just some inside baseball but uh, provided everything goes off without a hitch, we'll be talking to former Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker James Ferrier. And so really excited for that, uh, assuming that happens a little bit later in the show. We'll toss it to to James, get his thoughts on the Steelers and his playing career in Pittsburgh. But Dave, let's begin here with the Pittsburgh Steelers to hear in now. Some roster moves were made, I believe, right after we, we recorded on Wednesday. They had a couple of practice squad spots open. I believe they signed wide receiver Jalen Camp during our podcast and then to fill the final spot it was an old friend old familiar name punter brad wing is now a pittsburgh Steeler again the team's punter in 2014 he came in for a try it with a couple other veteran punters beat them out and he's been signed to the practice squad and that is due to presley harvin having a hamstring injury suffered in that raiders game coming off a couple of really good performances harvin has not practiced so far this week and so wing brought in as insurance and a familiar name at that. Absolutely. And I, you know, with, with, within that, as you mentioned there, I, you know, it sounds like Harvin's going to be the name to watch uh, on, on Friday for sure. Although James Daniels, I think is on there uh, with a groin injury, did not practice the first two, uh, uh, first two days of this week. So it's going to be an interesting day for him overall. Uh, but uh, with, with, with wing being signed to the practice squad, obviously they, they knew that they were going to probably rest Harvin these first couple of days here. 
So I think that's kind of the, the the name to watch there going into this one along with Daniels. It sounds like everybody else uh, is going to be good to go. Although Darnell Washington did show up on the injury report uh, on 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 Thursday there with a knee uh, there. But Gunnar Olszewski is out of uh, concussion protocol. Sounds like uh, there's a chance that he might be back in uniform uh, this week and. Uh, I think that's got it, right? I mean, I think Harvin and Daniels and maybe Washington are the names to watch on Friday. Yeah, and I know, you know, the the what Washington fell because there were those reported concerns about the knee. I don't know if that's related. Now he got hurt in was that week two against the Browns. He kind of yeah, that wham his knee. play or, or or what do you call it, the crunch play? I think yeah, where he got whammed there and he kind of banged knees. I think with with Dan Moore Jr. So I don't know if that's all related to that or anything. We'll just have to see. I think. For the first time this season, the Friday injury report is going to be pretty telling, and you're kind of really waiting to see what might happen here with Daniels, who's not practiced all week, and Washington going backwards. And Harvin, I assume there's been a lot of precautionary stuff with him, but Friday will be, I think, an important day from a game status perspective just to round out the injury report. Limited on Thursday was wide receiver Allen Robinson and defensive tackle Larry Okunjobi. I expect both to play against Houston. Uh, in full, some guys that were out on Wednesday that included Miles Killebrew, Chuck Wumakor for Connor Hayward, and Gunnar Olszewski has been full and clear concussion protocol. So he's healthy. Will he dress? That's a different question. But as you said, Dave, the names to watch for for Friday is Harvin, Daniels, and Washington. Yeah, I think that's the big thing when it comes to the inactive list is Gunner's status. Uh, it sounds like he's going to be healthy enough to play, but will he be in uniform? Will they roll with uh, uh, four wide receivers again uh, and you know make Desmond King active? Uh, to hear Terrell Austin kind of speak on 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 Thursday there didn't sound like it's a slam dunk for for Desmond King to to dress us when it comes to defensive play. Uh, what, what's your what's your early feel on this? Gonna be gonna be back in uniform? My guess, and I really don't have a great feel for it, but I would say no. It just has not gone well when Gunner has been out there. And does that mean that King will definitely get the hat? I mean, probably because the kick return aspect. But you know, maybe there's a you know if some other guys miss some action um, potentially, then you know you might be able to open up a spot. In a different way. So all, all that is to say, I'm not really sure. My guess right now is Olszewski doesn't get the hat, but it really could go either way. How many times has this team back-to-back only dressed four wide receivers in, in recent memory? It, 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 no idea, but probably not often, I'm guessing. Right. I, I'm going to go. My initial gut tells me, much to the chagrin probably of a lot of the listeners, <laughs> I, I, my gut's telling me Gunner's going to be back in uniform okay. this week. All right, fair enough. And uh, I assume the starting kick returner, if he's going to yeah, get a hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. I, I think they want to keep that off of uh, Calvin Austin's plate. Sure. The good news is kick returns are, are a rarity. So it's not really been, I mean, I know McFarlane had a couple of good returns back in week one. That was one of the few bright spots, but nothing happened for King against the Raiders on Sunday night. From a Houston perspective, their injury status, it's all about that offensive line. And they are really beat up. And we, we'll, we'll talk with you about that a little bit more, but they're missing a ton of guys. They've already had some people we know were on IR, are not going to play. Drew Scruggs, Titus Howard, but no Laramie Tunsil. At least we assume no Tunsil. I believe Josh Jones won't play either. And so they got a whole mess over there at left tackle. Kendrick Green's going to start at left guard again. They got a rookie center. So if there's a matchup that works in Pittsburgh's favor, it's clearly their pass rush versus that Texans offensive line. Yeah, that's uh, 
that that's going to be the one of the keys, obviously, to this game because it sounds like they're going to have uh, uh, Austin Duclos, uh get the start over there at, at left tackle, and that means you know we kind of wondered what was going to happen with Kendrick Green this week. Sounds like he's going to be uh, their starting left guard again for uh, I think a third game in a row here. Uh, you mentioned them having a rookie center uh, over there, even uh, their uh, e- even their right guard Shaq Mason showed up on the injury report. Uh, 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 I, I think he's going to play, but I mean, he showed up. I what was it, an ankle with him? And even George Fant needed some rest. They, they better give George Fant a lot of rest <laughs> <laughs> uh, ahead of his matchup with uh, TJ Watt. But I mean, you look at this at least from uh, a, a healthy, non healthy standpoint uh, and all with, with, with the Texans. And yeah, boy, this would be a great week for Cameron Hayward to, 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 to have, have, you know, uh, to feast, but, uh, even without Cameron Hayward, uh, this week, this thing certainly does tilt in the favor of the Steelers defensive front, uh, at least on paper. It does. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk with Drew and give our game preview, uh, for this one, Dave, as always, the coordinator speaking on Thursday, Matt Canada, Terrell Austin, I'm betting Canada enjoyed this presser a little bit more coming off an improved performance by the Pittsburgh Steelers offense in their win over the Raiders. What were your major takeaways from Matt Canada? Uh, you know, they, well, once again, they put to bed and, and that's, a, it's a non-talking point about, you know, at this point about that Sunday report with him and his, his role and all like that. Uh, he seems to by the week, try to answer questions you know, more carefully, uh, by the week, just, uh, a not, not, not come off like he's, you know, trying to smell himself too much after, after a win and trying to put it back on the players and on the flip side, you know, not talk too negative at all in, in any aspect, just really the same old stuff to be, be, be quite honest with you. Now, I thought it was interesting, you know, talking about the running back split and all like that saying, you know, Najee's still our guy, but, uh, Jalen Warren's, uh, er, you know, earning, uh, his snaps and talk specifically about the blitz pickup and, and, uh, in that game against the, uh, the Raiders and, and those kind of things there. But, uh, I don't know if we want, you know, as is usually the case, I don't know if we'd learned too terribly much. What did you think about his, 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 uh, being asked about Kenny Pickett and leaving the pocket and all. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really offer a whole lot of concrete information. He just kind of gave the answer of, you know, it's easy to play armchair quarterback and freeze frame and, you know, be able to dissect it that way. I mean, you saw the video that I did mm. in terms of, you know, four, I thought, pretty clear examples of him bailing on clean pockets that were too his hindrance. And it's not like he made some sort of great play. They were all incompletions, all throwaways, all you know, unforced errors that induce pressure. So I understand he got beat up in this game. He's been hit a lot this season. There might be kind of that, that feeling. And I think, I think honestly, it's just more about young quarterbacks who are pretty mobile, like Pickett. They have a tendency to want to leave the pocket and use their legs and be able to try to create some extended play out of structure situations. This happened even with Mason Rudolph early in his career. I mean, he's not a fleet of foot guy, but he's somebody that was trying to leave the pocket early. It's like when you were a kid or maybe today when you play Madden, like what's the first thing you do when the first read isn't there, you leave the pocket, you just start running around. And so it's kind of that feel. Um, So I think it's still something he has to clean up. The good news is I think it is correctable because I've seen quarterbacks in the past clean it up. What do you think about also the uh, and look, you did a great job on that video. I think one of you know you go back to uh, the draft profiles 
and, and, and Kenny Pickett coming out, you know, one of the, one of the things was him kind of bailing on some, some pockets there. So uh, definitely if, uh, but now look, he might be gun shy on top of it too, because of the way that offensive line. And I think we talked about this the other day. It doesn't feel like he really trusts uh, some situations of, of, of some of his guys potentially either recovering or, or, or being able to drop the anchor there. Right. I don't know. It's hard to, to for me to discern whether or not he trusts. I mean, he's he's also had moments where he stood tall in the pocket and, and and taken a shot. So it's not like he always looks to bail or isn't you know willing to absorb some of that incoming pressure. I I just think because he was doing this last year too. I think it's been kind of throughout his career. And again, Rudolph did it. Seeing quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts do it, and he's got the best offense line in football. So I I think it's less about trusting his line and just more of a an instinct and tendency of my internal clock's going off. I can run a little bit. Let's try to move the pocket and, and make a play. So I think it's almost a subconscious thing as opposed to I, I don't trust my offensive line. What do you think about uh, his answer to seemed like uh, he said he was asked, uh, what what did you guys do differently on the offensive line that opened up some of those holes? And it was a short and sweet answer probably because he, he probably knows that there were a lot of holes really opened up uh, overall in that game against Raiders. He said nothing dramatic, you know, improved our technique, hit the holes, nothing, no major changes there. Uh, but uh, later on, he was asked about, you know, we've talked about this uh, uh, coming coming out of that Raiders game there. You know, they haven't run good in, 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 in heavy package situations. And you know, I think we both have come to the conclusion that this team – you know, when it comes to the running game, it probably would be interesting or they need to find a way, A, to obviously get this running game going and B, might that come about by uh, trying to run more out of 11 personnel groupings and out of shotgun and try to spread things uh, out there. And, and you know, I, I don't know if his answer was, yeah, that's what we're going to do, but it does seem like it's something that maybe they're considering. Did he say anything specifically? That- it was it was vanilla more than anything. Right. Just that you know we're looking at it. You know I'm trying to find the uh, uh, the actual response here because I agree they've had more success spreading things out, but I think they also have a desire to be a team that can go heavy because again this whole offseason was built around you know bully ball, and especially with Deontay out, you're losing your top receiver. They want to be able to impose their will. It, it's not happened, but is their thought? Let's just try to correct it and still run heavy or kind of scrap it and go more spread. Yeah. I'm still trying to find that answer here. I can't. Okay. But I know, I don't know if he gave anything super specific towards that. I mean, I, I know he also, you know, essentially kind of denied the thought that they really pared down the run game and the number of runs and the type of runs and try to limit the menu. And Canada basically said that that wasn't necessarily the case. I know Najee Harris hinted as much after the game. Um, it felt like they at least cut down, some of their perimeter stuff that was not working against the Browns. All right. Uh, I, I'm f- having problems finding an answer here, but uh, anyway, I, you know, I, uh, nothing. We didn't learn a lot from Matt Canada as usual. No. And we never generally do when it comes to him and that's fine. It, it's okay to, you know, there's, there's enough going on with Matt Canada. He probably doesn't need to, uh, Put his name in the headlines anymore. And Terrell Austin not saying a do lot. You, more, do I, you? Huh? There, there's a there's kind of a discussion on talk radio, I think, going uh, uh, around right now, where where people feel, uh, or or at least the overarching kind of thought seems to be that people feel like 
Matt Canada, as long as the Steelers uh, have kind of even just an average season this year, that, that, that uh, I, I guess their main takeaway is that they feel like Matt Canada automatically is going to be back next year. And I, I don't get that sense at all. And, and I, I really think that we've got to see some improvement in this offense. I mean, a lot of improvement in this offense to get to a point where we're talking about, yeah, seems like Matt Canada is going to be back next year. Sure. I, I have not really given a lot of thought to what are the odds he returns the rest of the season is going to tell that story. There's no need for us to really decide upon that now because what's going to happen over the next still two and a half, three months is going to dictate his future with the organization. So I mean, they had a decent performance against the Raiders and they had two really bad performances to start the year. So it's not like things have gone well overall for Matt Canada. And even listen, I, I think this team did improve offensively against the Raiders. They had that they had their best performance. Can he pick it, play his best game? His offense was still not that good, though. I no. mean, they I mean, if Marcus Peters, you know, houses that and he, I mean, that should have been an easy pick six. You throw that nine more times. That's nine more you know, chances that Peters is going to going to return that for a touchdown that changes the whole complexion of the game and the run game was better but still not as good as it should have been and the pass game still felt a bit clunky he still got off to a bad start they had a couple three and outs and they didn't you know really do anything until that 72 yard touchdown to calvin austin so again it was better for sure but it's not i don't think it, it was as good a performance as some people are trying to make it out to be no no especially yeah look if they don't hit that uh those two explosive plays in this game really you know, uh, and especially the one to Austin for a touchdown, uh, they're still having problems manufacturing explosive plays overall. The run game, uh, while better against the Raiders, it was still very, very, very clunky uh, overall. And uh, no, it, it, it it's far from uh, uh, being even a top, you know, 20 offense, uh, it feels like mm-hmm. right right now. Sure. Now, the play calling, I thought, was better overall, but the production still has to match, and it's it's a work in progress. But but all that is to say that I'm not even really considering putting a percentage on the odds that Canada returns. We'll we'll take it week by week and see how things look by season's end. All right, uh, Terrell Austin. A couple things from Austin. He doesn't typically say a whole lot. He did make mention about, and this is kind of into your comment earlier about Desmond King saying at some point we'll see him on the field. Now I guess that's more from a defensive perspective. I'm not sure what it's going to take. If that's an injury that's going to require that, they seem they seem really happy with Chandon Sullivan. He's been their true slot corner on first and second non-passing situation downs. Elijah Riley's not gotten any snaps there besides when Minka got hurt in week two against Cleveland, playing some three safety you know dime packages. So uh, they've been happy with Sullivan, and I guess they're still either getting King up to speed. But at some point, he's been here about a month. He's a veteran guy. At some point, you know, either you're going to play him or you're not. Uh, I, I agree, and I, I'm not expecting him to see uh, uh, the field on the defensive side of football on Sunday against the Texans. The, the bigger question is, is will he be uh, active to uh, to return kickoffs? Right, it's going to come down to him or Gunnar Olszewski. Austin also speaking about Mark Robinson, saying we felt like he earned some reps. It was just four, I believe it was just one series that he played, and I'm still not entirely sure what the rationale was. I'm, I'm happy to see him play, but I don't know if there was something they saw situationally, if they just wanted to give the guy a series just to to throw him out there. Um, it's still, you know, generally speaking, a three-man rotation. Holcomb, Alexander playing the most. Roberts mainly playing in, in their base 3-4, but we did see Robinson get a couple of defensive snaps. 
and they tried to get him to uh, to throw uh, Patrick uh, Peter uh, Patrick Peterson underneath neath the bus on that touchdown, and he he wouldn't do it. He says, "Are you really asking me to lay somebody out right here? Not going to happen. Not doing it." Yeah, I mean Peterson, to his credit, outlined what happened on his podcast with Brian McFadden, and, and I think we talked about it pretty in depth on Wednesday. So um, I don't think I don't know the question. You know, just asking about skiing, just asking what happened there. I think it's a it's a fair question to ask, but obviously Austin did not want to give an answer. Yeah, and obviously uh, the other rest of the questions were about uh, kind of C.J. Stroud and, and how he's coming along through through three games. Right, and we'll talk with Drew and talk about that, but I think we both agree that Stroud's been been really impressive so far. Uh, anything from the players? Uh, you know, we, we didn't get a chance to hear from them because there was the whole emergency landing, and so they didn't practice or they didn't uh, they weren't available. I should say for for Monday. Uh, anything any players have said this week that, that's caught your attention, Dave? Yeah, no, nothing that, that comes to mind right away as a main talking point on what's going to turn out to be a long show here. Uh, we do need to note that T.J. Watt was named the uh, uh, AFC Defensive Player of the Month for the month of September. What a fantastic month uh, that was. I'm sure that's probably not going to be the last time uh, this season that we're talking about either uh, T.J. Watt being a Defensive Player of the Week or Defensive Player uh, of the Month. Yeah, for sure. Well-deserved there. He leads the NFL in sacks. He's tied for pressures. I think he leads in quarterback hits, tied for first and forced fumbles, second in tackles for a loss. And so another fantastic month. And he might add, he might add three (laughs) more to it on. So if if things go right, he might, might, might uh, uh, get close to double digit sacks already. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tasty matchup yet again. I think Watts had a great season and, and, you know, I think he would dominate almost anybody, but he's also had some really good matchups. He's faced what Colton McKivitz and then he faced day one Jones, uh, Illuminor is a decent right tackle, but not an all-star. And now he'll get what George Fant this right. weekend. Right. George Fant. Yeah. Uh, let's see. They had some comments, of course, as you would expect on Kendrick green and uh, nothing too biting, but just the idea of, you know, whenever you face Kendrick green, he knows us, we know him friendships aside, got to go through him. And that's obviously one guy to attack. Right, uh, for for sure, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, young guys like Keanu Benton and DeMarvin Leal when they get their opportunities in there. Uh, uh, Ogan Joby normally lines up on the left side, generally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, more lefty tackle. And Montrevious Adams has had some good tape to uh, to start the season here, so going to be interesting to see him uh, work uh, against that rookie center. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a young offensive line. It's a uh... Uh, a group that's had some moving parts and, and a ton of injuries. So on paper, certainly a matchup that works in Pittsburgh's favor. Uh, was there something else I wanted to to get to? Uh, and this is not more of a, a player quote, but we have a, a second here. Not that I really put much stock in the PFF grades, but I just took a peek yesterday just to see how all the centers were rated and kind of see where Mason Cole was at because I felt like it, it had been a really uh, surprisingly poor start for Mason Cole, and he was rated, I believe, the third worst center in football and the worst pass blocking center in football. And again, it's one number. I like PFF more for their, uh, you know, analysis, not analysis, but but kind of stat keeping in terms of how many snaps this guy played and where he played, more of the objective stuff and the grading aspect. But to me, the grade and the eye test match up here. To me, Cole has been unusually poor to begin the year. I would agree that shows up uh, a lot of those interior runs, uh, 
whether it be uh, inside zone or duo, uh, seem to be falling apart with him in the, in, in the middle and some of that pass protection too. He's getting driven back uh, uh, way too many times uh, uh, in, in into the pocket here. And, you know, I threw this out on Twitter yesterday afternoon. Who uh, Who's going to be the Steelers center in 2024? Because it, it certainly isn't shaping up because he's under contract through uh, – uh, uh, through next season, but uh, I, unless his play turns around right now, you have to really wonder who's going to be this team's center uh, uh, in 2024. It's probably going to have to come via the draft. And I know that we are far ways away, but if you're talking about some of the, the team needs for next year, center may be one of those positions. So again, who knows what will happen? So much can, and I'm sure will change, but without any obvious free agents to be, Right, there's no big free agent pending. I mean, I think Levi Wallace is the the biggest name right now. Then, and then center may become one of those uh, priority positions. Right, for sure. And I, I I just get the feeling that it's time to go back in. And I haven't really looked at the draft class any. I think John, uh, our own Jonathan Hightrader has something on maybe the top top centers that he's seeing uh, right now uh, up on the site. Either was it is it this morning that he has that up. I- Think today, yeah. I think okay. uh, Zach Frazier. I, I've not done any draft prep, so I'm just going off of Jonathan. But he's a West Virginia kid, wrestler. You know, strong kind of a you know Morgantown tough type of dude. So that's just one name to throw out there very early in this process. And and look, it's not just Mason Cole in this, no. right? You know, uh, it's just it, it's easy to point to that, especially when you have the grades that you have with PFF and all on that. Uh, your your main takeaway stands that uh, the tape matches what PFF uh, has on him, but. Uh, Alex, they've got to figure out, you know, uh, they've got to figure out how, how to stay on at least, you know, at least stay on schedule with this thing. And, you know, you wrote about the negative runs or not, you know, on the heels of me talking about negative runs or negative, uh, plays there. And then I think our own Clayton had a post on, on, on negative plays late last night and all, uh, the, they have got to go into this game eliminating the negative plays and specifically in, 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 in the running game. And it will be interesting to see if they attack, attack that by using less heavy packages and trying to run out of spread more and, and out of shotgun specifically, because what they've done so far through the first three games, it's just, it's clunky, man. And once again, mm-hmm. you turn on, you turn on the tape and, and, you know, everybody runs the same things, right? They run duo, they run, uh, 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 inside zone, you know, uh, but the Steelers still refuse to run any power. You turn, you know, you look at teams like last night with the lions and what they're able to do and mix all of it up and outside, you know, anything the Steelers run, they certainly can't run the same thing twice, uh, 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 with success. Yeah, they've just yet to find really an identity in terms of what their base run scheme is. They've tried a lot of different things, and I, I think the zone scheme has been especially poor. I think they have been marginally better with kind of more of their you know man blocking duo scheme, and so I think that's kind of got to be their mo. But if they want to be a, a heavy condensed type of team, a the tight ends must block better. They've not blocked well, really, you know, but they've been bad. pretty poor. Yeah, thank you. You're, I'm sugarcoating it. They've been, they've been pretty bad. And then, you know, the motion, you got to be able to have some mixing things up. And so defenses can't get the jump on you in terms of uh, when you motion and snap the football. I think teams are really keying in and picking up some tells on that. So if you're going to be a, a heavier personnel type team or when you go heavy, and it's still going to happen at least some in this game, then you got to clean those things up. And the Texans are a team that you think could, could, could be a get right game 
when it comes to that up front, but we'll see. And sure. I guess that's a perfect opportunity maybe to talk to Drew now, huh? Yeah, let's uh, toss it to Drew Doherty. He's the host of Houston Texans TV and covers the team for Texans.com. You can and should follow him on Twitter at Doherty Drew. We'll uh, take a pause and come back with Drew. Okay, welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. It is Friday, and you know what that means. Uh, we have an opposing uh, uh, beat writer or media member or uh, employee of, of the team's opposing website to come in and talk to us and help us preview the upcoming game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And obviously on Sunday, week four, the Steelers will travel to Houston to take on the Houston Texans. And big game, obviously, going to have the celebration of the J.J. Watt uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, so it's a big festivities there. And that means we have back with us again, Drew Dordery. Drew uh, covers the Texans, actually works for the Texans official website, host of Houston Texans TV. You can follow Drew on Twitter at Daughtery Drew, D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y, and then Drew with that. We'll make sure to put that uh, in the post. Uh, along with his podcast as well, too. Uh, make sure you follow him. He's been on the show several times before. Happy to have him back. Drew, welcome back to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Man, it's great to be back. And you guys are just like me. I can't come to call it X. I still got to call it Twitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Twitter we're, whatever we're, you're we're, calling it. So, and, you know. and, and we live on it 24-7 as yeah. well, too. And some habits are hard to break, uh, for sure. Uh, Drew, let's uh, let's get after it here. Busy uh Obviously, uh, weekend here with the Steelers coming in and and the J.J. Watt uh, Ring of Honor that's going to be uh, front and center here. Uh, the Steelers, you know, have had good success, obviously, on the road with their fan base showing up and fans, you know, selling tickets and all all off. I would imagine that some people are going to be holding on to some tickets this weekend, right? Yeah, but there's going to be a a really strong, really boisterous Steelers crowd. You know, like. I think around 17, 16, 17, 18 is when stuff happened with the secondary ticket market and you couldn't com- control things as much. But Steelers always travel tremendously. The Packers always travel tremendously. Cowboys fans are like cockroaches. They're everywhere. <laughs> so the 49ers, the Raiders, yeah, we're expecting a good turnout. But yeah, there's always going to be a lot of Steelers fans no matter where they play. Uh, and obviously, it was a large uh, uh, group of them there in Las Vegas. And Mike Tomlin yeah. kind of called out to the media or not or through the media, through his press conference there to hope that uh, they had that kind of turnout uh, this this weekend on Sunday as well, too. So we'll see just how large uh, of group of Steeler fans show up there. All right. Uh, let's move on into, you know, uh, the, the new head coach there. And D'Amico Ryan's obviously coming over from, from the 49ers there. Uh, you can tell. You know, a, a, a difference when you look at the tape uh, uh, with this team and really just, ha- you know, uh, how some of these young guys on this team, you know, speak. And, you know, I, what I'm getting at is just the culture overall. You've been with the Texans for several years now. You've kind of gone through this a few times. What have you observed, you know, with, with the overall change in culture here? D'Amico Ryans has been mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for this franchise. You know, think about where this franchise has gone. It's very, still very new. 2002, you you guys, I know y'all have got fresh memories of where you were and what you were doing in 2002. It seems like just yesterday. But first five years, they had losing records. Seven and eight, they get to 500. 
in 2009. They finally go nine and seven. So first decade was one of you know incremental growth. And then because of what's happened around here the last three, four years, which has been awful. I mean, an awful, awful uh, span there. But people forget the last decade, while they didn't win a Super Bowl, and that's the ultimate goal, and that's what everyone is after. But while they didn't do that, they went to the playoffs in 11-12, 15-16, 18-19. So it wasn't like it's just been this dumpster fire for you know 20 years. There were things that were going well around here, and then things went off course uh, over the last four years. So while the Texans were kind of flailing, they hired D'Amico Ryans, and it's like things got turned 180 degrees, not just on the field, up in the offices. I mean, I didn't believe it was going to happen until – he was walking down the hall just after he'd signed the contract. And then it jarred me because I was, I covered him even before he got to the Texans. When I was a, a sports anchor out in Lubbock, Texas, I hosted Mike Leach's TV show. Texas Tech played D'Amico Ryan's in Alabama in the 2006 Cotton Bowl. He was the 2005 SEC Defensive Player of the Year. I interviewed him in the ballroom a few <laughs> at the hotel a few days before that game. And I was like, wow, that guy's really, really impressive. And then the Texans drafted him. I'm, I'm from Houston. So I was very happy when they took him first pick of the second round. And think about it. He wasn't even the first defensive player drafted on his team that season. It was Mario Williams. But he instantly came in, took this defense, really took the team by the throat. And he was the leader. And he was the guy that made things happen. And he was here for one year with JJ in 2011. And then the team had to trade him because of salary cap purposes. And, you know, they weren't the same after that because it diminished the linebacking core a little bit. Brian Cushing kind of had to become the, the linebacker. And he was good for five games in 2012. And then his knee was wrecked. And then instead of having Cushing and, and D'Amico, you've gone down to, to guys who were kind of league replacement players. And that was a real Achilles heel of this Texans team in 2012. So I guess just gave you a long answer. But yes, the culture is so much better. Because this team is better. He came in and instantly made things smarter, worked smarter, had guys that he knows uh, can be in the right spot and tweak some things there. And then they had a terrific draft uh, three games in. But it's looking like this is going to be and turn out to be a terrific draft. And not just with those top two choices, but all, all the way down through the rest of the uh, the crew there. Drew, let's start with the top draft picks, though, and C.J. Stroud, another first-year guy like D'Amico Ryans at his, uh, in his role. How has he grown up? It seems like it's been a really impressive a couple weeks, especially that big win, upset win over Jacksonville. Has he grown up, or has he just kind of, in this offense, found its school? Have you seen a change in Stroud's approach from camp till now, or has it just been everything kind of coming together? It's kind of interesting. He has consistent. The answer is no, I've not seen a change, because he has consistently taken steps and improved. And if he did X wrong one day, the next day, X was done correctly. If he did Y done wrong that day, the next day, X and Y were done correctly. First week at Baltimore, didn't throw any interceptions, but wasn't all that great. And the the, the operation on the whole was shaky. And if you think about it, Going on the road in week one with a rookie quarterback, a rookie center, a rookie head coach, a rookie offensive coordinator, you're probably going to have some rocky times as far as getting the play in and getting the playoff and all that stuff. Next week was really, really good. Defense had its troubles in the loss. And then last week, they were outstanding. I mean, Jacksonville's pretty good. They won the division last year. Mm -hmm. Nobody's saying they're the 85 Bears, 
But he went out and he put up numbers on those guys, did not get sacked. And the offensive line gives him the credit for that. They're saying it wasn't really us. It was him moving the ball and getting us into the right plays and getting rid of the ball at the right time. So this guy's the real deal. And you see why they took him second overall. And he's just been a, a real breath of fresh air alongside D'Amico Ryans, alongside Will Anderson Jr. And alongside a lot of other players who are making things happen here. I know one thing they're trying to get going is that run game with Damian Pierce. Yep. It's not been great so far. Why is it just offensive line injuries that have hampered that run game? Why have they uh, been able been unable to kind of get things going? That certainly plays a role in it. I also think teams know or, or are banking on, we got a rookie quarterback. He's going to want to run the ball. So let's just almost sell out to, to stop the run. And they also have the tape on Damian Pierce and who he was last year. And he was excellent. I mean, 900 some yards, in only about 13 games, he got injured in that Dallas game in early December. And so he missed the last quarter of the season, but a punishing bruising runner who's got some like home run hitter speed as well. Excellent in pass pro. He doesn't get the ball thrown to him too much, but he was great at catching the ball out of the backfield in college. And I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward. But it's, it's a lot of re uh, different reasons, but I think the two main culprits in it are like you mentioned, just kind of some, some stuff on the offensive line that's, you know, I mean, the left side that started last weekend, they got here in September. It was Kendrick Green, who you guys are familiar with at left guard. And then Josh Jones, who he was, he's been in Arizona uh, the first four years of his career. They, they both got traded to the Texans end of August, early September. So, yeah, that's some of it. And I think just teams banking on rookie quarterback, let's stop the run and let's make him beat us. And, you know, he's done some nice things through the air. Uh, it, it it certainly is sounding like they're not gonna they're gonna have to have another starting uh, left tackle this week and uh, gonna be uh, Austin Deculus I I would imagine here uh, and I think uh, we went into the week wondering if they might get uh, Josh Jones back to maybe help uh, uh, over there at left guard but or, or at least at left tackle there is that the biggest and Shaq Mason even showed up on the injury report this week but I it sounds like he's gonna be uh, good to go here is that going to be the biggest thing obviously the Steelers have two two uh uh amazing pass rushers in TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith and uh heard D'Amico Ryan's give them give them both uh their due along with Stroud uh this past week as well too so I mean they're going to have to try to figure out how to run the ball stay out of third and long situations here and just kind of you know and, and and try to obviously mix in some explosive plays to Dell who's been Real, really amazing so far on tape there. But is that the biggest concern, this offensive line holding up here? Certainly, yeah. It, it's like you mentioned, four of the presumed starters that you, you went into training camp with, they're they're gone now. You know, So um, Shaq Mason's the only one who was slated to start and scheduled to start and is not. You know, We're catching you guys just one week too early mm -hmm. because next week, Titus Howard, an excellent right tackle, comes off IR. Juice Scruggs played at Penn State. You guys are familiar with him. He was probably going to be the starting center going in this year. Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame has filled in nicely for him. He's also a rookie, done some nice things. But yeah, I mean, all sorts of, and then Kenyon Green got injured in the final preseason game. He was your starting left guard. And Larry Tunsil's battling the knee stuff, hasn't practiced. So yeah, when, when you got TJ Watt lining up across from you, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a real, massive challenge they've all talked about that they say they have a plan 
We'll see how the plan goes. What's that Mike Tyson saying about everybody has a plan until it's <laughs> punching them out? Uh, so we'll see because, and it's not just those two guys, Watt and Heisman. I mean, you got, I think that's a really fearsome defensive line. So uh, it's going to make things interesting. But Bobby Sloak is the offensive coordinator for this team, and he's kind of dialed up the right stuff so far. We'll see if he can dial up some more uh, winning combos on Sunday. Yeah, and I, Bobby was going to be the next thing that I kind of hit here. And and look, when you look at them on the All-22 tape, especially these last two games, yeah, the running game hasn't, hasn't hit yet. But, I mean, they're – there's a lot more movement in that offensive line of what the Steelers are getting uh, with their offensive line. It looks like they, you know, that that they have the opportunity to crack some of these things. But the passing concepts uh, really look uh, uh, good. And Bobby, you know, Bobby Slowick, obviously the offense coordinator there, uh, so good uh, with this, and obviously have have great talents in, in a young player in Tank Dell. Nico Collins has made some plays in here. I guess my question is, is uh, is there a fear that Bobby Slowick might be gone? I mean, is is he going to be one of these head coaching candidates next year? Man, it, we're only three games in, but goodness gracious, you know, you brought up Dell, you brought up Collins. They're they're playing excellently. Robert Woods, I think there was a section of people who had maybe written him off and said, "Ah, oh, he's an old man." He's well, Robert Woods is kind of consistently gone for like 60, 70 yards each week. He's a guy who moves the chains as well. Those those three wide receivers have been excellent. Now you're kind of seeing John Mechie start to get mixed in. You remember Mechie? I mean, he was mm-hmm. great at Alabama, and then his knee blew up in the SEC title game. Then on top of that, he got leukemia. So he had a long road back, but he made some plays last week. And the, the Texans have been throwing mainly to those guys. I think defenses are going to compensate and maybe in a game or two take one of them away. And now you got Dalton Schultz and the tight ends doing some. Brevin Jordan is a tight end who's been playing well. So I think they're going to work on getting the guys uh, that get open the ball. Obviously, that's, and I'm not breaking any football news. That's that's one on one. But Tank Dell, man, when he got here out of U of H, we had seen what he'd done down the road. And I asked Case Keenum this in the offseason. And I said, hey, listen, you're a, a former U of H Cougar. Nobody passed for more you know, yards in college history than you did when you were at U of H. You're a decade ahead of him. But you obviously have contacts. At, at that school and the coaching staff and so so on and so forth. What do you think about Tank Dell, what he's doing now versus what he was doing in college? And Keenan was very diplomatic about it. He said, listen, that conference he played in, they actually have players who are better than most people think. And he did, Tank Dell did great things against those guys. But he's now doing this against a really great secondary in practice, talking about the Texans secondary, because it's it's really improved. Derek Stingley was playing fantastic before he got injured. He's doing this against these guys, and nothing has changed. He has not skipped a beat. So after about a week or so of seeing him here, Tank Dell back in OTAs, we all sort of internally stopped saying, man, he's good for a guy who's only five foot. We stopped saying that. He's just good. He's a really good wide receiver. He's not just a slot guy. He's just a good wide receiver. They use him outside. They use him inside. He gets separation like nobody's business. It's like the guy in the game of tag when we were growing up that you could never catch. He's that guy. And he's also catching the ball uh, And as far as getting loose in the game of tag. And we saw it last weekend. He had two big ones, 46 yards, 68 yards, just broke the game open on that last one and put the the final kind of, dagger in the uh the back of the of the jaguars 
Uh, before I turn it back over to Alex for some defensive questions here, you know, you, you hear the buzz on, on CJ Stroud uh, and then you crack open the film and you see, man, this, you know, this guy's got the arm talent that doesn't seem to be a throw that he can't make. He attacks the middle of the field. He can throw, uh, 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 you know, to, to the far side of the field and make those long outside uh, breaking throws really looks good overall is what is maybe the early kind of kryptonite with him. Now he can make some plays out of structure. My, my thought with him is you'll know, get, getting him in these third and long situations where he has to hold the football a little bit longer and then force him into making maybe some of these out of, out of, out of structure uh, uh, plays. Is that really, you know, it's only three games in obviously, but does that seem to be uh, his biggest kryptonite right now is just, uh, uh, you know, getting his timing off and get him out of structure. I don't know about that, Dave, because I, you're talking to a guy who has been shell-shocked by the last decade of the offense that's been run around here, where a lot of times on first and 10, there's a false start, and it's first and 15. It seemed like, all right, let's run it to the right. We'll get stopped for a yard. Let's uh, throw a short flare and get dropped for a loss of one. So now it's third and 11. All right, let's just run a draw and punt. And now. It seems like when there's been a little bit of mini adversities faced within drives, he just picks up the yardage. He goes and he'll run for about 12. He did this last weekend, or he'll overcome it. And on first and 15, he'll get a game, he'll get a completion of about nine, 10, 11 yards and put it back in a manageable situation immediately. And he's done that on third and longs a time or two or three or four so far this season. And it's very, very refreshing. That's been the most refreshing part just for me, because I've been around this franchise since 2009, where it was almost like a fold up the tent and just get out of here and not, you know, just let's, let's just avert disaster instead of let's be smart about it. Let's gain back the yardage and let's, let's keep moving this, this offense down the field, which is what he's done the last two weeks. So as far as that being this kryptonite, I don't think so. And I don't know really yet that we know what his kryptonite is. Cause okay. it's like you said, we're still three games in and, He's doing all the right things and saying all the right things so far. Drew, I know you got to go soon. I just want to ask you about two defensive players, and I'll let Dave finish things out. Obviously, Will Anderson, they trade back up for him after taking C.J. Stroud. What's been your impressions of him? And then also, I'm a big fan of Jalen Petrie. He had a great rookie year. Then we had the Bruce Long. I believe he's going to play this week, a really versatile, hard-hitting kind of guy. Just give me the report on Anderson and Petrie. Two of the leaders. They're also captains. Uh, think about that. You don't yeah, normally see a rookie. You don't, yeah, you don't normally see a rookie get voted a team captain. Pretty rare, also, for a second year guy to get voted team captain. You know, in that same meeting when I was talking with Case Keenum about Tank Dell, I talked with Jalen Petrie about Will Anderson, and this was in August, and he said, "You know, I'm I'm a pretty diligent guy. I'm probably one of the more diligent guys on the team." And he, I'm paraphrasing. He wasn't tooting his horn like I'm tooting his horn, but I, he was kind of pointing out like, you know, I do these things and then I'll see him in the cold tub when I'm going off to a meeting or going off to something. And I'll think, you know what, maybe I should be in the cold tub too with him. And I'll go, it'll go back and get in the cold tub or I'll go back and do that. So these two, just from a leadership standpoint, have been cranking each other and sort of spurring each other on. And they're big fans of each other. This defense missed Jalen Petrie. I think that game and a half where he was not out there, those two games and a half where he was not out there. And it's good that he's back. Now you got him. You got another captain in Jimmy Ward, the other safety, at the back end of that secondary to help things out. That's a good thing. That's a big return. Petrie was 
probably your defensive player of the year last year for the Texans in what was a tough season, but he was a, a game changer. He came up with a lot of picks, forced fumbles. He had a hundred some uh, tackles, a lot of tackles for loss. He was good last year. So it's good. They're getting him back, but man, Will Anderson, I tell you what, I was in Kansas city on draft night and it was like a bomb went off when the Texans took Stroud and then followed up and drafted him. And then he gets here and in OTAs, you could tell he was like the chained beast. They, they, he wanted to just rip somebody's head off. He was like Latimer <laughs> from the program or uh, Forrest Whitaker in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But they had him like under wraps because there's no contact then. And, and once training camp started, there were lots and lots of doubts about the Texans' offense because of what Will Anderson was doing. He was in the backfield the entire time in training camp. And then there was one day they held him out for – like a veteran's rest, or he, he was kind of nicked up, but they held him out, and oh, look at that. The offense was able to move down the field and look pretty efficient. So, yeah, he affected the game last week on special teams with the blocked field goal. He almost blocked one the, the week before in that loss at home to the Colts. Got a sack of Lamar Jackson. I'm curious what he does this week because he can get after the quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is you know kind of notorious about having the shoe fly release and just gets rid of it so quickly. So he was pretty good about getting the ball off and not letting Will Anderson sack him. But Anderson got after him and got some pressure on Lawrence quite a bit. We'll see if he can do that against Pickett because Texans need it. I mean, Texans are going to need to get after Pickett and try and force him to into, into some mistakes. Uh, when you talk about D'Amico Ryan's, a lot of a uh, lot of fingerprints with kind of what San Francisco yeah. uh, did, and the Steelers obviously played San Francisco first game of the season. It looks like uh, they like to play a lot of zone, like to keep a lid on things, keep things underneath, tackle the catch, uh, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, that kind of what you're expecting the the attack to be this week. And also, you know, the Steelers have had had their problems running the football. They can't run it. They, you know, we think that they need to spread it out more out of 11 personnel and try to run that way. The Texans have had a little bit of problems against the run at certain spots. It seems in these, in this game, is that the best way to attack this defense is to kind of spread them out and then try to run. Yeah. If there's one thing that the Texans uh, defense has kind of consistently had a problem with over the last four years, and that's a few different coaching staffs. Now it's stopping the run still haven't been great stopping the run so far in 2023. And that can change, obviously. I think as this defense gels, I think it, it is going to get better at, at its run defense. But it's been a that's been a real sore spot here the last years. Just and that that goes back to the last year or so of, of the Bill O'Brien area. When they went to the playoffs in 2019, they they really had a, a tough time stopping the run. So yeah, if you can get get going on the ground against this team, you're going to have a nice day because Texans were up 17 nothing last week at the half. So they didn't they could they didn't have time to run the ball the Jaguars, but when they did with ETN, they had some success. And the week before the Colts gashed them on the, on the ground. So, yeah, if you can if you can get the ball going and get the run game going, Texans uh might be a team that you get well against, so to speak, but you know, the Jags did not get well against them on the ground last week. All right, we know we got to get you out of here, and I know because you work, you know, closely with the Texans, you you you're not into the predictions, if I remember too, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, if if I remember. But you know, with that said, you know, the, the Steelers come in here as the favorites, uh, anywhere between I think two and a half to three points on this. Uh, mm -hmm. This game's going to be closer than what most people think. I, I I don't think people look at the rookie quarterback and all like that, and think okay, well the Steelers should go in there on the road and all like that, and take care of business. This is going to be a close game, isn't it? 
I think so too. And, you know, it's always tough to predict. I'd never predict things, but at my base, I'm always going to go back to which team has the better quarterback. And I think Kenny Pickett can probably do some good things and develop, but I, I really think CJ Stroud is special. I think he's a really, really good quarterback. So I think the Texans can pull this off the way they have kind of conjured things up and found the sore spots on defenses the last two weeks. I think they might be able to find a way to do that. And I think Will Anderson still has not totally broken out. And with him, with Petrie and Ward at the back end, I kind of think something's coming. So I, I feel pretty good about this. We're never going to make a prediction, but I feel pretty good about the Texans in this one. But you guys brought this up, man. It's a Patrick offensive line going against maybe the best defensive player in the entire game. I probably I think he is. I think TJ Watt is, and <laughs> a bunch of other guys on that defensive line who are really nasty as well. So you get some you get some some bang plays there on defense for the Steelers early. Then it turns into a long day for the Texans. But if they can kind of limit the damage early on, I like I like the Texans' chances. I like the Texans' chances. Uh, tell the listeners real quick what they'll find over there at HoustonTexans.com. Pardon, I didn't hear you on that one. Uh, tell tell the listeners what they'll find over there on on the website this week. All sorts of good stuff. You know, we had a fullback return a kickoff for a <laughs> touchdown. That. Andrew Beckman, wild play. Banana. Was that not the craziest thing Crazy. you've ever seen? So there's been a lot of fun about that earlier in the week. We're getting ready for this game here. Lots of J.J. Watt stuff. I I was uh, back in 10, 11, 12, and 13. I would meet the first round draft pick at the airport. And basically, you know, J.J. Watt and his family come out of the secure area at the baggage at Inter- Intercontinental in Houston. And I'm, I'm there and I'm like, hi, my name's Drew Doherty. I work for the Houston Texans. It's good to see you. I'm putting this microphone on you and we're going to follow you with a camera for the next <laughs> four hours. So I, I got to meet him and uh, very, very early on. And I wrote an article about this earlier in the week, but very, very early on in that, you know, we're in the limousine driving through Houston. And he's checking things out. And he's kind of like the normal rookie. You know, he's excited. He's having a fun time. He's curious about what he's seeing, gets in. And goes up into the offices, which are about 15 feet to my left as as we're shooting this interview. Wade Phillips and the defensive coaches all come out and they meet him and they exchange pleasantries. And Wade says, all right, you want to go downstairs and get some lunch? (laughs) And J.J. Watt very respectfully says, thank you very much. I would love to eat, but I know my time is limited and I'd really like to see, uh, get a look at the playbook. Now, keep in mind, this is 2011, and it was the one day during the lockout that they opened the building up. So mm. there were lots of veterans in the building getting the new defense because the Texans were going into a new defensive system with Wade Phillips. He was They're transitioning the 4-3 to his 3-4. So J.J. knew going in, hey, my time is limited. I need to kind of capitalize on what I'm doing because they flew the guy in, let him tour the facilities, the first rounder, let him do the press conference, and then it was Lock back out. You know, they couldn't come back in the building. So he went in, they went into this, this meeting room right here and they, they would wind up sending a sandwich in for him. So he didn't go hungry, but he went over the playbook and he, he kind of got a little head start. And I'm not going to tell you that I saw that and I knew he was going to be a three time defensive player of the year. <laughs> but seeing that it didn't stun you, stun you when it happened. It kind of all made sense. It sort of informed your, your opinions of him and your view of him and for who he'd become because 
goodness gracious. I mean, you watched him and when he was on defense, you locked your eyes on him and he usually did something that made you just say, wow. And then when he, they put him in on offense, he always did something that made you say, wow, because he was on offense, I think six snaps and he caught touchdowns three or four times. So he's just been so much fun to cover. And I remember in 17 going into that draft, Texans were picking around 20. They were going to take TJ Watt, but they wound up moving up to take Deshaun Watson. It worked out there for a little bit, and then it really did not work out after that. <laughs> but they loved TJ Watt, and they were big fans of his the year before. Before he had that monster last year at Wisconsin, they were kind of on – he was on their radar for sure. And I remember Bill O'Brien talking about his hands are like tennis rackets. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a fun, fun Sunday having the Watt family in the building. I wish TJ Watt was – playing for us. I wish JJ Watt was still out there, you know, messing with quarterbacks for us, but I can't wait for this one. And that's my long winded answer about what's on HoustonTexans.com. I got to, I got to get better at that guys. I got to truncate my answers. I'm, I'm like a politician, aren't I? I apologize. I apologize. Hey, hey uh, you're always very accommodating uh, for us. And I, I, you know, we're going to get a lot of people, our listeners to reach out and, and hopefully thank you for your time and all like that. Drew, enjoy uh, the weekend and all. Uh, make sure you follow Drew uh, Doherty on Twitter at Doherty. Drew, we'll have that uh, in the post. Uh, Drew, we know you got to get after it today. So uh, thanks for being with uh, Dave and Alex again on the Terrible Podcast. Enjoy the game. Dave, Alex, it's always fun being with you. It's, it's one of the interviews I enjoy the most. I hope y'all are doing great. I hope y'all lose this weekend, <laughs> do great the rest of the year, and maybe we meet again in the AFC title game and you lose again. But other than that, win out, have fun, and uh, it's always cool being with you guys. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Drew Doherty. Again, he covers a team for HoustonTexans.com. Been doing it for a long time. Great story. Love the story at the end about J.J. Watt, too. Um, meeting him as a rookie and you know J.J. saying, I want the playbook. Forget about, you know, whining and dining me. And I got a, a day here to to be with a team. I want to take advantage of that. So be sure to follow Drew on Twitter at Doherty Drew, one of our favorite guests here, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Please reach out to him. Uh, it sounds like he enjoys doing these interviews with him. Done quite a few with him now. Uh, with him now, I think three or four overall in in total. So uh, please, if you if you're on Twitter, uh, reach out to him and thank him. And I love the AFC title game matchup prediction. Let's hope it becomes true, Drew, without the losing part on Pittsburgh's end. But uh, appreciate the optimism there. All right, Dave, how about you and I uh, preview this game, give our thoughts on the Houston Texans coming in one and two, but off a big upset win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, 37-17 in week number three. Let's start with this Texans offense. And I think, Dave, you and I were talking last night, both been really impressed by C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You know, you've you you obviously have heard a, a lot of the buzz about him uh, through the first three weeks, and probably have seen uh, the stat floating around on him. Uh, what is it? The first quarterback through the first three games to throw for uh, nine hundred or more yards and no interceptions. Uh, if I'm if I'm quoting it right uh, mm -hmm. there, but. Uh, uh, the, the, the thing that gets me is when you put on the tape, man, he looks, he looks poised in the pocket, uh, overall, it looks like he, he, he has a good understanding of where he wants to go with the football. Uh, the throws, he's not the, the, the throw, the arm, you know, what's the buzzword arm talent, I, I, mm -hmm. I guess is now the, uh, the, the new kind of buzzword, uh, the arm talent is most definitely there. I, I don't think there's a throw that he can't. Uh, make overall and uh, put some tight window throws, able to push the football down the field, uh, able to throw uh, the football over the middle of the field. It just, uh, 
what Bobby Sloak's doing with him offensively, I think is setting him up to be successful more times than not. And just, you know, the overall, you see some poi, uh, some pocket poise in there too, with him, you know, able to, to, to make some quick slides and get rid of football. But, uh, uh, they are, I think they have been in the games that they've been in because of his arm. Mm-hmm. What's been to me, just big picture without even getting into the nitty gritty of the tape, which I think has been impressive. He's had no run game. I mean, they're averaging they're starting running back. Damon Pierce is averaging 2.5 yards per carry that they've not run the ball. Well, the offensive line has been beat up and, and, and the offensive line has been just a mash unit and he's been sacked 11 times. And yet, he has played really well. He's not turned the ball over. Typically, you think, okay, rookie quarterback, no run game, offensive line beat up, getting hit a bunch. You're going to have poor completion percentage. You're going to have a bunch of turnovers, a bunch of bad plays on tape. You're not seeing that with C.J. Stroud. And so despite those things that typically hinder rookie quarterbacks, he's rising above that. And I watched him at the end of the first half against Jacksonville lead that two-minute drive. I think he just got a field goal out of it, but it was a great drive overall using the sideline, you know, just commanding things well and so to me this guy I know it's three games and that can be a fool's gold type of thing and if we talk about usually kind of in that second year six games in you kind of get a good feel for who a rookie or a young quarterback is or is not but to me three games in Stroud might be their guy yeah, it, it certainly does feel like that. And I think uh, from a personnel standpoint, they do a really good job in, of, of, of mixing up their personnel and being able to, they like to put those heavy bodies on the field with the uh, fullback and back. They'll put two tight ends quite uh, out there quite a bit. I think 26 uh, offensive plays overall uh, so far have included two tight ends on the field, another 42 with uh, 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 out, of, out of 21 personnel with Beck being primarily in there in the backfield. They'll put uh, Robert Woods in the backfield. They'll have a lot of uh, kind of double sidecar looks uh, in, in that backfield. As far as what they uh, their, their run scheme goes, they'll run all of it. They'll run a toss. Uh, they'll run uh, duo inside zone. They'll pull the guards. Uh, get some of those wham blocks early in this wham. One. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll see the tight ends get active in that. Try to uh, early to try to slow down uh, the the uh, the penetration in that. They're able to throw out of uh, those heavy looks as well too, and just uh, really so, so some of the route combinations that 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 they use. They'll use that burner concept. They'll use uh, the uh, dagger. They'll a lot of in, uh, deeper down the field uh, in breaking routes. They'll run some over. They're not afraid to run uh, kind of double double outs, uh, if you will, because they uh, they know from the far hash he can make those throws on top of it there. So uh, I I think for for him being a rookie quarterback and everything that comes along with that, uh, he's showing that it's not too big for him, and I think it is impressive with the way he's able to push the football down the field. Now look, uh, they they have benefited i think from a couple of busted coverages in here but uh don't don't let tank dell get loose on you man no uh uh that that guy has got that that burner speed there and uh even if you don't bust a coverage on him uh he is he is a guy that can win down the field or really in short space as well too and after the catch i think we've seen that uh, already with him the biggest thing now uh when it comes to their running game is they run everything and you know a lot of times from from the end zone look it looks like some of this stuff has the tendency to pop 
but they haven't popped it yet. I mean, you do see, I mean, it looks a lot better on tape in zone view than the Steelers stuff does uh, more consistently. They just have not found their footing when it comes to kind of continued success with that running game. But, but uh, it feels like they're close to popping a few of these. And I think once that line gets healthy and as Drew said, they're going to hopefully get back, you know, Howard maybe next week and Scruggs. And I think at some point Tunsil's going to come back. Pittsburgh will avoid all that, thankfully. But once that line gets healthy, watch out for this Texans offense. And I mean, it just from again, baseline, big picture perspective, they had nine points in week one, 20 points in week two, and then went big for 37 against Jacksonville. Now, seven of those came off that crazy Andrew Beck 85-yard kick return touchdown, a wild play there. But still, the offense has statistically improved every single week. And if they get a run game going, I think they're going to be really effective. And as Mike Tomlin mentioned Tuesday, this is basically just playing San Francisco all over again. With probably a little less talent and offensive line still trying to figure things out and just kind of a younger group overall. But, you know, D'Amico Ryan, San Francisco guy, Bobby Slovak, the Rose C, San Francisco guy. And so you see the Zorro tosses in play action and the creative uh, pass scheme and the over routes. I mean, it's, it's kind of just watching the 49ers all over again. And we saw obviously all the trouble that Pittsburgh had with San Francisco. And I think Houston's still trying to find their footing and their younger team, obviously trying to build this thing out. But uh, this one very much has a 49ers flair. Yeah, sprinkling of, of successful RPO, I think, in there. Oh, Not yeah. a lot of it, but uh, you see some of that in there. You'd have to think, though, because of the state of that offensive line uh, that they have and and, and, and and the Steelers' defensive front here, that they're going to come out, they're going to try to run the football, and when they don't, they're going to try to get the football out of uh, 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 out of Stroud's hands pretty quickly here. I think the, 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 the key, as it is in, 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 in most games when attacking opposing offenses, is, is get him. Now, They've been pretty decent on third down overall, thank, uh, uh, thanks to Stroud, I think, mostly here. But uh, I'd I, I keep pressing them to try to make those third and seven, third and eight, third and nine uh, kind of plays here because I, I don't think they want to get an opportunity or, or get in situations where Stroud uh, has to hold on to that football. But uh, once again, I, I, I think the kind of recap of my thoughts on on this offense overall is they 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 are very multiple uh I mean, how many teams do you see that put up, put, put a uh, run, run, you know, 21 personnel, maybe as much as they do. I think uh, officially it's like 20%. I think the usage rank is fourth overall. On yeah, that's the, a 49ers flair. Right. So, uh, uh, whatever the steer, you know, uh, I, I, I worry about some of those runs popping from, for, for them up the middle. They haven't popped yet, but. You know, uh, especially on the right side of that line, I think is where their strength is, uh, obviously uh, there. But, you know, you you got you got to slow down this uh, run first and foremost. And then within that, man, you better keep your eye on Tank Dell. And I think Nico Collins might be one of the more underrated receivers in football. He's had a really good start to the season. I talked about Ayuk being an underrated guy in week one. He went off for two touchdowns. Collins is a big, strong leaper type. Dell, as you said. Speedster, he's their Calvin Austin, but he's been really productive. He just had a five for 145 and a touchdown game against Jacksonville. And as Drew mentioned, and I'm so glad he did, Robert Woods, in terms of alignment, as you said, he's in the backfield, some split backs on third down. He's going to run angle routes, he's going to try to get matched up on linebackers. He has eight receptions on third down this year. That's tied for second most in the NFL. He's got six conversions on third down. So he's kind of their Allen Robinson underneath guy, do the dirty work, run the option route. While you got Collins and Dallas or downfield guys. So there's a, a good collection of talent. And then just last note on them situationally, as you said, 
fourth best third down offense in football, but the NFL worst red zone offense, just three for 11 this year. Small sample size, but situational football. Can Pittsburgh win on third downs and can they continue to force Houston to kick field goals? How did they lose that Colts game? They had more explosive plays from them. I, I guess coming out of shoot, Richardson had, had a couple of touchdown runs. Right, but then he got he got hurt. Right. right. That was the concussion. And, and then Minshew had to come in and all like that. But uh, just if you didn't know the score and were just watching just the Texans all 22 and not knowing anything about the game, it, it really felt like uh, the, the, the the Texans should have won that game J- just from that side mm-hmm. of the football there. Uh, and look, they're what plus two on, on the season. And, and, uh, they're one fun. Don't they have one, only one turnover and it is a Stroud fumble. I think two giveaways. Okay. Stroud has fumbled three times. I don't know how many he's lost. I think at least one. So there is a, a bit of a concern there and, and probably a chance for TJ Watt and Pittsburgh's forced what, like seven, eight, nine fumbles this year. So, uh, that might be one way to, and with that offensive line, you know, being beat up, you know, get to the quarterback, take away the football. My final thought is just because they haven't run the football well, it it, it did feel like, uh, feel like they got some opportunities to pop some, and they'll and they'll run it all. They'll 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 toss and everything, and try to get out on the edge and 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 everything there. So uh, don't don't be lulled to sleep. I don't think just because of the rushing numbers so far. And I think Pittsburgh's defense has always done better against more power downhill man schemes than they have zone schemes. And the Texans run some more of that zone action again in that 49ers vein. And so I know the Texans run game has been really poor so far and a bad offensive line that's been injured has not helped. But I think Pittsburgh's going to struggle more because they just don't do as well against zone uh, running teams. Got to get that interior, uh, those interior wins in this one against the yeah. likes of uh, 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 of Shaq and, and that rookie center and obviously Kendrick Green. Mm-hmm. All right, flipping over to the defense here, and the run defense has been middling. I think there's a chance for Pittsburgh to, to make some hay if they can, again, I think, get downhill. I'm more of a between-the-tackles type of a team here, but they got, you know, they got some guys up front. They're getting a bit healthier, and so that's going to be good for Houston. Uh, the thing that stuck, sticks out, they're not very multiple, are they? Uh, they they basically run 4-3-4 or 4-2-5 as far mm-hmm. as personnel goes. And uh, here it is uh, kind of thing. And uh, they play uh, more zoned than anything else, a lot like the San Francisco 49ers. They just try to keep a lid on things. Uh, they they have a penetrating guy up front. Uh, who is that? Lee Collins? Uh, yeah, Collins. Right. Uh uh, kind of his, you know, you, you look at so, some of the snaps and you see some Keanu Benton there. Yeah. He was a really athletic one gapper coming out of Nebraska. I don't think he's as heavy and kind of large in statue as Benton, but he had one rep against Jackson. We beat the left guard and I was, I had watched back just, just to enjoy the rep because he just whooped the left guard there. So I mean, yeah, that, that, all that swim over, right? That swim. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're both watching the same, same tape there last night. So uh, we're very much in sync here to start this year, but yeah, it's him. Will Anderson, obviously they're you know, traded up to go get him. He's only got one sack this year, but I think he's had more impact than what the, uh, you know, broad box score may show. Even Jonathan Grenard, I think has, has made some plays. Like a Jerry Hughes, a rotational guy that comes in. So uh, they don't really have that beef up front, though, and they've given up seven rushing touchdowns this year. That's tied for the most in football. You know, Pittsburgh has yet to rush for a touchdown this season for all that bully ball talk, no rushing touchdowns. So hopefully this week that uh, that drop can end. Yeah, their linebackers are kind of um, middling and all like that uh, as, as well, too. Once again, I, I, I think 
when you look at this defense overall, and I think you're going to see a lot of zone in this, a lot of try to keep the lid on it, uh, uh, them kind of try to uh, uh, stack and, and and stop the run. But all that said, it does feel like, you know, if there's a team that you should be able to run on to, to, to get right, this would be the front to do it against. I hope so. We said similar last week, and you saw some success, but hopefully that can can continue overall. Yeah, they don't really have that dude. They don't really have a, an every-down guy. They got um, with, with my favorite last name, Henry Toa Toa. I don't know how to exactly pronounce it, but it's all T's and O's and apostrophes in, in his name, but he's leading the team in tackles right now. I think getting back Jalen Petre is going to be big for them. He's he's And maybe they've been a little less versatile lately because they haven't had him available. Um, he's a guy that played that star position under Dave Aranda and Baylor, really high IQ guy, uh, physical, as Drew said, a really colorful and excellent rookie season. So getting him back, is going to be huge for that defense. They've had, they've got some people on that injury report as well, too, that Taviar Thomas, their nickel, is, is he going to play? It's a good question. I don't know for sure. Did he And Denzel Perryman, it, it doesn't sound like he's going to be back, does it? Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I haven't followed their injury situation as close. He was going to just kind of wait for the the final game statuses today. So those would certainly be losses. Perriman uh, has not practiced uh, these last two ga- two days with a hand wrist injury. Uh, Tavier uh, Ta- Ta- Thomas uh, has not practiced with a hand. Uh, who else was on? Uh, uh, it sounds like Petrie's going to be back, and they just rested Jimmy Ward for a couple days, so he should play there. So, uh, going to be interesting to see what happens with Perryman and and Tavier Thomas. Uh, wasn't Thomas the one that uh, was was the up and comer that that allowed them to uh part part ways mm-hmm. with uh, Desmond King, right? Correct. Yeah, and they've had to, I think go to their third string. Uh, what's his name? Like Graylin Arnold, I want to say was his name that's re- that's replaced Thomas. So. I think injury reports for both teams are going to be really important for this Friday. Uh, the, the Steelers can attack that in the passing game, you know, especially if you see a lot of zone with, uh, you know, uh, some some underneath stuff. You would think, and some run after the catch. Yeah, I mean, as you said, they played. Uh, th- there's been a mix of zone, zone and man. I think in my report, uh, I had them playing more zone against two by two and a bit more man coverage against three by one formations. Um, but they probably play more zone because they've had some guys hurt. Derek Stingley, he's going to be missing an action. That's one of their top corners. And so th- I've seen some miscommunication. I've seen some busted coverages. And can you run some, you know, as you kind of talk about switch routes, and can you be a little creative there with your your scheme to maybe put some defenders in conflict, make those guys communicate, work out a bunch, see how they distribute routes and that type of stuff? Because I think they have blown a couple coverages so far this season, in part due to all the injuries and just kind of missing people and, you know, first-year head coach and all just trying to, you know, work things on the fly. I think one thing you pointed out in the, or one of you guys uh, pointed out in the scouting report was the missed tackles by them, right? Yeah, I should have mentioned that too. They are second entering week four, second in the NFL with 35 missed tackles in the first three games. That's uh, only behind Carolina's 39. And surprising number for a defensive minded head coach. I mean, obviously, you know, he's, you know, you're still probably retooling the roster here a bit, but. They have missed a bunch of tackles, so there's a good chance for a gap for Pittsburgh. They try to do a lot of things, obviously, that that that, that San Francisco does, but they don't have near the talent. Uh, uh, and who does really right now right. when it comes to San Francisco and all like that? But uh, uh, in other words, it, you know, they should see some familiar. They they the off the Steelers offense should be fairly familiar with how the Texans uh, uh, try to attack them. And, and once again, as far as groupings go, you know, it's, now they, they, they obviously, because they're a four down team, they'll rotate guys in, in the middle of the defensive line and, 
probably not so much outside of that, but I, you know, it's pretty much what you, you know, you should, you should have a good idea about what personnel package you throw out there on offense is going to get matched up. How, yeah. how, how it's going to get matched up. I think so. My last note for the defense is again, Will Anderson, he's going to play mostly left defensive end. So core four is going to see him a lot more than Dan Moore, but they're going to stunt and twist Anderson quite a bit, especially on third downs. And so I think, you know, what's going to happen to right guard is James Daniels going to play. If not, Nate Herbert's going to get his first start. And can you communicate that well enough? And, Mentioned they're going to probably try to slide that way as much as possible, have that three-man surface to uh, defend some of those twists and games. But watch out for Anderson, 51, stunting, because he's going to probably do that quite a bit in this game. Yeah, you, uh, look, uh, the, the best way to, to, to keep those pass rushers at, at bay is don't get behind and don't get in a, long, a lot of second and third and long situations here. Uh, if you do that, if you're able, if they're somehow able to get this running game going and, and keep this game close, you can limit the effectiveness of, of, of those edge guys and uh, specifically uh, 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 the edge there. Mm-hmm. And don't let their fullback go for 85 yards on a kick return. <laughs> That's uh, one other one other minor note there. Beck had that crazy play against Jacksonville in the victory. So I think that kind of covers Houston pretty well. Uh, Dave, I do want to get to momentarily our picks, our week four picks, our friends at my bookie. But before we do that, as you mentioned, top of the show, and um, I, I think it's time now to talk to James Ferrier, former Pittsburgh Steelers, great linebacker, Super Bowl champion, uh, one of the best for agent acquisitions the Pittsburgh Steelers have ever had. So we'll take a pause and come back with James. All right, and welcome back to the Terrible Podcast and a very special guest today you guys will be uh, highly familiar with. We are grateful to be joined by former Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker, two-time Super Bowl champion, James Ferrier, one of the best free agent acquisitions in Steelers history, playing for Pittsburgh from 2002 to 2011. James, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure. Just want to start things off. I'm going to take you way back to 1997 and i I know the draft today is this marquee primetime event it feels bigger than the games half the time what was the draft process for you like in 97 as a top prospect i know the draft was televised and it was a thing back then but what was your experience like compared to the pomp and circumstance of today well i think uh for me at the end of the whole process of uh you know, going through all the like the combine and the workouts and all that stuff. And it was time leading up to the draft. You know, that that was a whole process. And my agent, he didn't want me to go to draft once he realized that, you know, I'll probably go in the first round and I got invited. And he told me about the horror stories that, you know, people would be sitting in the waiting room and not being picked and You know, that made me nervous for a little bit. But then I decided at the end to that I wanted to do it anyway. (laughs) So, yeah, we decided to go to the draft and uh, it was pretty amazing, man. You know, what they do now is, you know, uh, really amazing. And the things that they did back then was, you know, still over the top. And it was, you know, just as spectacular as it is today. So. You know, I got to go through that whole process, and luckily I didn't stay in the green room too long. <laughs> yeah, there was no long Aaron Rodgers wait for you. I know yeah. people get asked this all the time. I don't know if you ever have. You get drafted by the Jets, obviously. Did you have a welcome to the NFL moment, that first season, that first camp, something that said, okay, I've, I, this is a different than college? Oh, uh, 
I would say the first day of practice, the first day of training camp. Uh, it was, you know, uh, it was that year was Parcells' first year at the Jets, and uh, he was trying to change the culture, and he wanted to, you know, put his stamp on the team. So, you know, back in those days, they didn't really have rules to limit you on how much you had to practice and the rest time and all of that. So, <laughs> you know, we would go to our first day of practice was full pads. Every day was full pads. We went full pads for the first two weeks every day, mm. twice a day. Full pads in the morning, shoulder pads in the afternoon, was, which was the same as full pads anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that, like, my first, I would say my first training camp was the wake-up call that this is the real deal. <laughs> James, uh, obviously, uh, uh, your time in, in with New York was up uh, after the five seasons there, and then uh, the Steelers go out and add you uh, via free agency. There, you 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 played in a different defense with the Jets, and and everybody was wondering how's this transition going to go uh, to to you know moving inside there as part of the uh, three four at all. What was some of the you know what was that transition like from you for for you uh, going? really kind of you know to a new defense and 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 a, and a new role yeah. within that defense uh, i think what really helped me out is uh my last year at the jets we changed our defense uh to a 4-3 and i was the wheel linebacker in the 4-3 and if you really look at it if you change into a 3-4 uh it just makes me the middle linebacker and it was sort of the same uh position that I did my last year at the Jets and probably that was my most successful year that I had when I was with the Jets. So I kind of knew that I could play that role as middle linebacker just from, you know, having that previous experience. Do you think uh, because of that final year with the Jets and, and playing that role led to having that tape out there that made you an attractive ad? Uh, to the Steelers, and in other words, they they saw a little bit of it on tape and how and, and could visualize how you would fit. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, you know teams that ran three four uh, could see me in that scheme. Uh, I know I interviewed with Buffalo, and they were running the three four at the time. And also, I think uh, I interviewed with Cleveland, and they may have been running uh, the three four also. Uh, so, and. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think Kendrell Bell had been there like a year in in, in Pittsburgh when yeah. when when you Kendrell got Bell. It was his second year when I got there. And and that kind of leads to my, to, to my next question. There, Kendrell obviously had that fantastic rookie season of his. Yeah. And, but he had only been in the league one year. Obviously, you had been in the league a lot longer. Uh, a you know. Kendrell Bell, man, that that rookie season, you kind of wonder, oh, man. man, that guy was you know destined for great things. But how how did that process go? How was he able to help you? And and when did you know? I mean, did you know kind of right off the right right out of the shoot that man, you know, us two working together inside, we could be something here. Oh, Kendrell Bell is probably one of the most athletic and gifted, uh, just physically gifted linebackers I've ever seen in my life and you know I think uh if barring his major injuries he had throughout his career he might have been one of the best linebackers ever in my opinion yeah he yeah. just had I mean he was so powerful and strong 
and fast. Like his natural, his natural talent was just amazing. I think it was an ankle. <laughs> it was an ankle injury with him, wasn't it? Yeah, he had man. His ankles were so small and weak. It just it didn't fit with his body. And uh, yeah, he had he had a lot of ankle injuries, man, that hampered his career. But he was a great talent. And uh, I know he would have had a great career if he would have stayed healthy. James, just to kind of move forward, Mike Tomlin comes in 2007. And I've heard from so many former players that that first camp that he had in 07 was pretty brutal because he wanted to kind of test the team and see who he had. And as a rookie coach, what was your experience in that 2007 training camp? Uh, yeah, I feel the same way that everybody else feels. Uh, it was pretty tough. It took me back to my jet days and with Parcells with the two days every day. Uh, it was tough, but you know we all, as a veteran, you understand what you know new coaches are trying to do, and you know they're trying to lay their mark and you know put their stamp on the team and their personality. And you know he just wanted to make the team and get it as far as away from you know Coach Coward and the things that, you know, all the things that the, some most of the players were used to and, you know, get his stuff in. So we go, all understood that. Sure, sure. And then you go 2008, one of the greatest defenses of all time. We've talked with Coach LeBeau a couple times about that defense. He's writing a book about that unit. What made that unit so special and in, in, to lead you guys to a Super Bowl? Um... Well, you know, 2008, uh, we saw a change in Mike Tomlin's, his approach. He took his foot off our, off the gas a little bit and, you know, he gave us a break and, you know, got guys, you know, rest when they needed to get rest. And, you know, it was more of a, you know, try to take care of the players attitude. And, you know, we felt that and we felt a certain type of bond and, you know, that training camp was great. Uh, that year, uh, I think that was the year, um, that was the year that Rooney's had to sell the team and, you know, that all of that was going on. They had to sell some of their shares of the team and, you know, get in some new peoples. And, uh, I think the schedule came out and Mr. Rooney said, I think it was one of the toughest schedules we had in, uh, you know, how they ranked the schedules. Mm -hmm. I think it was probably one of the toughest ones that they had that year. And Mr. Rooney looked at the schedule and I remember him saying, he was like, Oh, well, looks like we got just got to go win the Super Bowl." <laughs> and we, you know, we all laughed and, you know, thought it was funny, but, you know, it ended up happening that year. And, you know, what a, uh, just what a memory of, you know, just playing around and him thinking like, you know, that season and, you know, looking at what happened, it was awesome. I want to take you back again to when uh, when Tomlin came in in 2007. Obviously, you were an established veteran at that time, you know, leader of that defense and all like that. Uh, was there kind of a a a testing out? I mean, you you, you had a couple older guys on that team, and you got, and I think you were like 30. What were you like 32 at the time? <laughs> And I think Tomlin yeah. was like only three years older than you, like yeah. 35 or something. Was there kind of like a testing out of a uh, period of, of, of you testing him out? And was no. it kind of like, a, <laughs> was there like a come to Jesus no. moment or any, anything like that within that? No, no, not at all, man. You know, I played against him in college. So, you know, we go way back to Virginia, William and Mary days. And I think, uh, 
I played against him when he was a junior or senior. But so, you know, when he was coming in, he had some players that uh, I played with in college and against in college that he coached in Minnesota and Tampa Bay. So I really kind of had an idea of the type of person he was and everybody, all, all the people that I knew that I talked about, I mean, asked about uh, Coach Tomlin, told me he was a great coach and, you know, I was going to love him and, you know, things were going to work out and, you know, everybody was happy for him. So, you know, it was nothing but good things when he came in and there was no moment where I felt like, you know, I'm just as old as this guy and I played against this guy and he's my, he's sort of in my peer group, in my age group, but he's the head coach. I never really saw him as that. He was always seen as the head coach just by the way he carried himself. And then uh, uh, fast forward a few more years there when uh, Dick LeBeau comes in, I, I, I think around 2004 there. And I think that's the same uh, year you uh, Pro Bowl and, 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 and first team all pro and uh, all like that. What was what was that transition like uh, from you know, uh, playing under you know, Tim Lewis and then then going to, uh, to you know, what what? Were there any huge changes schematically overall? I mean, obviously the fire zone and and those kind of things. But what do you remember about that transition uh, from from that first year in two thousand and four with 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 LeBeau? Uh, Dick LeBeau, I think he was a he's a great communicator. He knows how to get the best out of his players without you know having to yell at you, having to you know be disruptive. Like he's I mean, he's one of the best coaches I've ever had. And, you know, you want everybody wants to go out and, you know, play their hardest just for him, just because, you know, he's such a great person and you just want to be looked at in his eyes as, you know, being somebody that's positive and helping out and doing everything you can do to help win the game. And, you know, everybody wants to do that because of Dick LeBeau. And I, before I turn it over to Alex to start wrapping it up here for uh, with you here, you know, 15 years in the NFL for you, I, I, I don't know if many people realize, I think you only missed something like, I don't know, what, 12 games, I think, uh, uh, during that span. I mean, you were an Iron Man uh, of sorts. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure luck plays into it a little bit there, but I mean, not a, yes. lot, of, not, not a lot of people can say they played that many years and, and only missed that few games. And I, I think a uh, good four of those maybe came in your second year with the Jets. I think overall with the, yeah. uh, with the Steelers, you missed a, a lot fewer. And I remember the play specifically, I think it was in 2011. It was a groin injury, wasn't it, uh, with you that ended up uh, uh, putting you down uh, oh. for a couple of games in 2011? What, what, just, you know, what played into your longevity? Uh, I definitely feel like God was blessing me and he looked over me for a long time. But, and other than that, man, I just, just lucky to not have any major injuries and, you know, just staying healthy and taking care of my body. I guess that was the, probably the key to longevity. Was there anything you played through? Because I know some of these guys play hurt, and you're just trying to battle through. Was there an injury that you oh, were like, you I got to tough something out? Game. Yeah, nobody yeah. ever plays a game 100%. So, you know, there's always things, little things you got to deal with. But, you know, sometimes, most of the time, you know, you can, you know, put a Band-Aid on it or, you know, just, you know, try to get it healed up later on. But, 
you know, it was it was only a few times where, you know, you couldn't do that with me. And uh, I think I sprained my knee a few times and uh, missed some games and my shoulder maybe a couple of times. But nothing crazy. I, I broke my thumb once and that was probably my only broken bone I've ever had playing. Wow. So, That's incredible. Yeah. My last question for you, James. We know the stars of the Steelers defense, Troy, Debo, yourself. Is there any one guy that you thought was super underrated from those defenses, 05, 08, that probably doesn't get the credit they deserve? I mean, I've heard people people say, you know, Casey Hampton in the middle, Aaron Smith. Is there somebody that you feel like just doesn't get the recognition for kind of being the glue guy for that defense? Uh, I would have to say Aaron Smith. Yeah, you know, Casey, he's starting to get, you know, recognized. He's been nominated for the Hall of Fame quite a few times, so... Mm -hmm. You know, people know his name and people see him and, you know, getting recognition. But I don't – Aaron Smith was probably one of the top five players that I've ever played with in my life. He's, mm. you know, that type of player. And uh, he's the only player that i ever seen that I played with that, you know, never made a mistake, always did what he was supposed to do, was always in the right position, had never, like – I don't think he had a bad play, so – I mean, you can go back and look at the tape and, you know, you can watch for yourself. But I think he's probably one of the best players I've ever played with, and he doesn't get enough recognition. No, hey, I'm with hey, you. Hey, James, real quick, uh, who are some of the linebackers that you like uh, watching in today's game? Oh, today's game? Man, there are a lot of great linebackers. Uh, you know, San Francisco's got a great linebacker. Fred uh, Warner. Group. Fred Warner and uh, Greenlaw, he's he's excellent as well. Um, you know, I love the Steelers linebackers. I think, you know, T.J. Watt is the best player in the NFL, one of the top three players in the NFL. And uh, he got robbed a couple of years ago, player of the year. He should have been, you know, player of the year, like back-to-back or three mm -hmm. times. Just, you know, what an amazing – I always feel like, you know, when he's on the field, the Steelers have a chance. <laughs> and I think he's the best player on the team. And uh, he's probably one of my favorite players. And um, other linebackers, you know, there are a bunch of great ones. And, you know, all those guys out there, they do an amazing job, you know. And, you know, they're 10 times the players that, you know, guys that played in my era, man. You know, you just got to give it up for those guys because they're, putting in the work and they're showing that they're excellent athletes and they're also pretty smart. Do you have any quick thoughts on the 2023 Steelers two and one getting a couple wins? Do you still watch the team? Do you still follow pretty closely? Oh yeah, man. I'm a big fan. I follow the team, you know, just like any other fan, but you know, I feel like that, you know, the defense is playing outstanding that it all, there's always room for improvement. I think when Cam gets back, you know, that'll help that front line out a lot and help out the defense a lot. Um, I think the offense will get going. I think once they, you know, get the running game going and get that established, they can, you know, try to do some other things with the passing game and, you know, get the quarterback out of the pocket, and, you know, get him slinging the ball because uh, he's a great quarterback. I like Pickett and uh, – you know, just the guys, I, I like the running game. They just need to, you know, work on, you know, just carries and 
feeding them the ball and just mm-hmm. get those offensive linemen, you know, moving those boys down the line. Yeah, for sure. Get back to some Steeler football. Uh, James, I know we're doing audio only, but you're wearing a shirt, volunteers, not hostages. It's really cool. Can you just talk about where you got that a little bit and anything else you'd like to uh, plug and promote? Uh, yeah, this is uh, Kia Tomlin's, Mike Tomlin's wife, her clothing line, one of her her T-shirt line for Coach Tomlin. And uh, it's just some of the some of the sayings that he has that have been, you know, all the phrases that have been coined. And uh, the the T-shirt is actually some of the softest cotton I've ever uh, had in a T-shirt. So big shout out to her and, you know, what she's doing. And the T-shirts are great. I love the messages on the shirts. And, you know, my kids ask me all the time when I wear the shirts, like, Dad, what does that mean? And, and I'm saying I just let them know that, you know, one day you'll figure it out. You'll learn it. <laughs> you know, you understand. <laughs> so. All right, James. Uh, and what, el- what else are your kids uh, talking a little bit about what your kids got going on, James? Oh, well, you know, they started a clothing line uh, and they started off making t-shirts that kind of emphasized on, you know, things other than sports and, you know, cartoons, cartoon figures and kind of, you know, kind of geared towards education. And, you know, some of the t-shirts says, uh, says like, I love math. Uh, I want to be, a, you know, a Supreme Court justice when I grow up, you know, t-shirts that, you know, give kids positive messages and positive images. And, Good. you know, my wife felt the need that, you know, there was a void in that, that type of space with, uh, in the kids market. And, uh, my kids and my wife came up with a concept and along with another family and it's called starrier.com and you can go and you know look at the t-shirts and look at the website and check out the vision and the mission and you know support it if you like it awesome yeah thank you james so much really appreciate your time and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon all right thanks for having me and welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to James Ferrier for making some time. Great to talk with him. I want to thank our uh, editor, Scott Brown, for putting this interview together as well. Uh, Dave, really, really grateful to, to spend some time with James today. Absolutely. Uh, to, to get the opportunity to uh, talk to some of these Steelers legends, uh, uh, especially a guy like him, played so long in the NFL and uh, very, very, uh, established, uh, career overall. And boy, he didn't miss a lot of games during his career either. Mm-hmm. Did he, uh, uh, overall just kind of, uh, man, when you think of, uh, the Steelers defenses there and, in, 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 you know, from, from his time of his arrival on obviously up and through, uh, the couple of Super Bowls there, uh, James Ferrier certainly played a big part of that. Yeah. A, a rock and anchor in the middle of some legendary Pittsburgh Steelers defenses. So thank you again. James, uh, for that. All right, Dave, uh, I know the show's kind of run a bit long today, but uh, I think you guys can can appreciate and, and won't be too mad at that. Let's get ready to make our picks for week number four. Uh, Dave, you are one to know, I believe here on the week, taking the Lions. I took the Packers last night, so you're off to a good start. Before we make our picks for the rest of week four, including Sunday's game against the Texans, let's hear from our friends over at my bookie. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers' season is officially over, but yours has just begun at MyBookie. NFL, college ball, and a brand new cash-out system give you options to bet and win 
all season long. The first two legs of your parlay hit for you. Cash out early and place another bet or let it ride for the chance at a bigger payday. Join us at MyBookie for an entire season filled with daily odds boost, same game parlays, and huge prize pool contests. Right now, MyBookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use promo code TERRIBLE at sign-up. That's promo code TERRIBLE at sign-up on your first deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly credited to your MyBookie account. That's promo code TERRIBLE to claim your own cash bonus now. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie, and you obviously get there by going to MyBookie.ag, and we hope you support them because they've been a long-time running show sponsor. And we thank them for their continued support. All right, Dave, let's make our picks for week number four. All right, let's roll through these. Jacksonville Jaguars at home against the Atlanta Falcons. Jaguars laying three at home. Yeah, I think Jacksonville bounces back. Him versus Ritter. Lawrence versus Ritter. Give me Trevor Lawrence. Give me the Jaguars. I'll boil it down just like you did, too. Uh, uh, Lawrence versus uh, Ritter. Uh, I'll lay the three points. Cincinnati Bengals eked out one uh, the other night there. Uh, They go on the road now uh, against the Tennessee Titans. The Bengals laying two and a half on the road against the Titans. I know it's still been pulling teeth even to get that win over the Rams. I just think. A little bit of confidence now, some more, you know, some, a, a bigger play offense the Bengals have compared to Tennessee. Give me Cincinnati. Boy, that uh, that that Bengals defense came to play the other night there, and that I, I think that could be the uh, the difference uh, in 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 this one. So I'm going to ride with the Bengals, lay the two and a half points on the road against the Titans there. Uh, Los Angeles Rams on the road against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Colts laying one point at home against the Rams. They're getting Richardson back, so that's going to be big for them. Give me the Colts. I'll take the Rams. Uh, I'll take. Uh, uh, I'll put my trust in Aaron Donald in this uh, this one and this one alone. I I, I think he's worth that. So uh, give me the Rams to uh, beat the Colts outright. I'll take the Rams plus the point. Buccaneers on the road against the Saints. Saints laying three and a half at home against the Buccaneers. Who are the Buccaneers? It's a fair question, but I think they. They've been better than what I thought they would be with Baker Mayfield. I know the run game, they probably ran it too much against the Eagles, but that defense has been solid. Give me Tampa Bay. I'll go the other way there. I'll take the Saints at home because they're at home, and I'll lay the three and a half points here. Washington Commanders, boy, they need this one, but uh, big spread in this one, tough task. They go on a road play to Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles laying nine uh, at home against the Commanders. Honestly, I thought that line would be bigger. Washington's been sacked 19 times this year. The Eagles pass rush is fierce. Howell's not played particularly well. Give me Philadelphia by two touchdowns. Yeah, I'm going to go with you on this. This just doesn't feel like it's going to be close. I'll take the Eagles, lay the nine at home. Miami Dolphins coming off of uh, that big win, a huge win against Denver, uh, are underdogs this week on the road. Yeah, to the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are laying two and a half. At home to the Dolphins coming off of a 70 burger. And that surprises me. Um, that's going to be a great game, though, overall. A lot of firepower in that one. I'm going to go Miami, man. I think two is locked in. The, 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 how, how fun is that offense to watch? Just, you know, schematically, creatively, uh, or excuse me, um, creatively uh, speaking. They have so many weapons to, to play with. Um, I think Josh Allen's prone to the turnovers. Give me the Dolphins. 
I'll take the Dolphins as well, too. Uh, something screw, screwy with this. I know they got Josh Allen over there and all, but uh, Miami's clicking, man. I'll take the two and a half points. Vikings on the road against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Vikings laying four on the road against the Panthers. Uh, this one's tough. I mean, Minnesota, they can't drop to 0-4, right? There's just still enough talent there. They shouldn't be as bad as they are. Give me Minnesota. We'll call Carolina an upset there mm-hmm. here, and then uh, Minnesota trade off uh, uh, the quarterback. Uh, Kirk Cousins, you think yeah. to the Jets? Possibly, possibly. Okay. Uh, so give me Carolina Panthers plus the four points here. Uh, Denver on the road against the Bears. I won't be watching this one. Uh, Denver <laughs> laying three on the road against the Bears, who have not still have not won a game since they traded for uh, Chase Claypool, right? Right. This one might be so bad it's good. I kind of think it's in that territory. Uh, who to pick? I have no idea in this one. I think Denver's defense has been a bit better overall. I'll go with the Broncos. I'll go with the Broncos to get right to bouncing back from that ugly loss there. I'll, I'll lay the three against the Bears with you there. Raven got an AFC North matchup here. Ravens on the road against the Browns. The Browns at home laying two and a half with that great defense of theirs. Yeah, it's just going to be a really fun game to watch. Now, the Ravens, they're getting healthier. He just lost against the Colts. The Browns defense has just been stupid good. Ah, this one's really, really tough for me, Dave. Um, I think it's 50-50. I, I said Baltimore would win the North to begin the year, so I'm going to stick with it. I'll go Baltimore, but this one might come down to the uh, the final moments. You think Baltimore wins this outright? I do. All right. Uh, I think Cleveland uh, wins this by a field goal, so I will lay the two and a half points there. Raiders on the road against the Chargers. Boy, a lot of rumblings in that Raiders organization after uh, after uh, losing to the Steelers on Sunday night football there. Uh, Chargers laying five at home to the Raiders. Yeah, I know the Chargers, they find ways to charger it up, and they got their first win against Minnesota last week. Hopefully they can roll with that. I know losing Mike Williams is a, is a big blow there, but I'm going to go with L.A. It feels like uh, feels like this thing's close to really, really going off the rails uh, with uh, with the Raiders here. I'm going to take the Chargers, lay the five points as well too. Dallas at home against the Patriots. Uh, Dallas laying six and a half at home against Bill Belichick and company. They laid an egg against Arizona. I think they refocus, regroup a little bit of humble pies, and always a bad thing. Give me Dallas to win big. I'll go with you. I'll take Dallas to lay the six and a half points, uh, winning by about 10 in this one. Arizona Cardinals on the road against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, what can Josh Dobbs do for you? Uh, <laughs> 49ers laying 14 at mm. home against the Cardinals. Big line there. At least Dobbs, you can order a Dobbs jersey from the team mm-hmm. store. So I'm Good glad that uh, problem got solved. Yeah, congrats to him for the uh, first one. I believe he's going to join Cam Hayward on his uh, Not Just Football podcast for next week. So we'll get to hear from Josh Dobbs, which will be Exciting. Uh, can the Cardinals cover? I'll say they cover. Backdoor cover late. Give me Arizona. Uh, 14's a lot of points, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think San Francisco wins this, but I think Arizona just does cover uh, here. So give me the four. I'll take the 14 points. Kansas City on the road against the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, Chiefs, as you would imagine, favored big. Eight and a half on the road. Got to be more, and it's really it's really Casey versus like Taylor Swift cutaways. I mean, that's what this game is all about right now. Uh, I know you're you've been following that news, I'm sure, super closely. Dave, Absolutely, give me Kansas City. Yeah, I'll take Kansas City. Lay that eight and a half with ease here. That takes us to the last. Does game. ketchup and seemingly ranch mean anything to you? The internet meme right now, or is that just over your head? 
That's over my head. What does it mean? Uh, spell it out to me. Uh, Taylor Swift was eating chicken tenders and somebody, one of the Taylor Swift accounts is like, she's eating chicken tenders with ketchup and seemingly ranch. And now everyone is, is saying that phrase over and over okay. again. Like the, do you get the Kevin James meme? I don't even understand what the I Kevin don't, James I don't understand is. that. Look, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I'm really concerned about myself. If you're, <laughs> if you're not getting them in here, I, I mean, uh, I, yeah, and I'm on the internet all day and some of these things just go right over my head. <laughs> Uh, Seahawks on the road against the Giants. Seahawks favored by a point and a half in this one on the road against the Giants. Yeah, I'll I'll take the the, the Seahawks in this one. I'll take the Seahawks as well too. So we got a lot of similar. I think we're only different on about four of these overall here. But uh, all right, that takes us back to the Steelers, uh, one o'clock Eastern uh, at Houston. Scroll back up here. Uh, the Steelers road favorites by two and a half in this one. Headlines, I think, shrunk a little bit from where it opened. I think it was like three, I think. So about a half a point, if memory serves me, this opened at three. I wonder if we're going to differ here, Dave. And I I was really surprised. I saw the NFL.com panel. I think there's eight people that they uh, pick on kind of their main panel. Nine of ten. Nine of ten was that. Pick the Steelers. Yeah, I thought it'd be more of a mix. I think Houston's underrated. We were talking about this last night. That offense is getting better. CJ Stroud looks like a dude. Uh, Their defense is getting a bit healthier. People are not going to like this one, Dave. I got Houston winning this one, 23-17. to I think Pittsburgh's offense still has not taken the strides it has to. I think the Texans have accelerated their offense more than Pittsburgh has, and it's back-to-back road games. Um, I think Stroud's going to make some plays. I think Tank Hill's got a lot of speed. I'm happy to be wrong. But I think I, I got Houston winning this one, 23-17. You know, you can't help but think about when the Steelers play the Texans, you can't help but think, but go back to that 2002 game, that ugly game where mm. uh, the Steelers off, I mean, the Steelers defense came to play, but the Steelers offense didn't to turn the ball over all those games, obviously facing a rookie quarterback in, 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 in David Carr at the time. And uh, just, I mean, the Steelers gave, I simply just gave that away on the offensive side of football. Uh, but then you, throw in the rookie quarterback uh, 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 thing with it uh, overall. Stroud will, according to my research on on, on pro football reference slash stat, stat head, uh, let's see here, Stroud will be the 28th true rookie quarterback that has started against the Steelers since 2007 when Mike Tomlin became the team's head coach. Tomlin enters Sunday's con- the Sunday contest 23-4 and four against true rookie quarterbacks. Uh, but it is worth noting that three of those four losses against true rookie quarterbacks uh, uh, came on the road there. Mm, and the last one was 2016 and Dak Prescott, I believe. Dak Prescott. That was the... Uh, that was the Jarvis uh, Jones out of his not, gap, not not filling the gap properly mm. on on Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, there, the Steelers were it seemed like they had a chance. They ended that was up the, losing. the fake spike one, right? Right, and then they lose it the other way. Yeah, right. Dak Prescott, 2016, was the last rookie true rookie quarterback that the Steelers uh, lost to. Uh, the first true rookie quarterback that Tomlin lost to was like uh, Stroud, an Ohio State product. Troy Smith in 2007. Mm. Baltimore? Uh, there, yeah, Baltimore. They oh. lost that one 27-21 on the road uh, that season. Who are the other rookie quarterbacks they've lost to? Uh, Wentz. Okay. And... We know the fourth. Name the other one. Quick, quick. Uh, uh, I, I have it here. Can you name it? 
No, I don't, honestly, I can't. I knew Wentz was uh, one. I don't know the other one. You put your Brandon Whedon in there. <laughs> right? They lost to Brandon Whedon. Yeah. 37-year-old rookie Brandon Whedon. Yeah. Tw- uh, 2012 lost 20 to 14 mm. uh, uh, against them there. Uh, but uh, anyway, trends, 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 trends. Uh, the Steelers are normally good against rookie quarterbacks here. This is going to be a close one, uh, uh, though. I would take the Texans uh, plus the uh, two and a half. I think it's going to be that close. I had the Steelers winning this one 20 to 19, just doing just enough here. So, uh, look, I don't don't go into game into this game. Think it's going to be a gimme, though, because mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I had a different mind. You turn on that tape and what Stroud's doing, I, I, I think is impressive. And I think I, I do worry about the Steelers' run defense in this. I hope if if we're talking about a Steelers loss on on Monday, Alex, I think we're talking about man, why couldn't they stop that run of theirs? You know, right? Uh, but uh, uh, I think this is close. Uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Steelers though, but I'll take the Texans plus the points in this one. I think either Pittsburgh finds a way to win big, which I know they almost never do, but that would be because the defensive line, the pass rush just overwhelms this battered and beat up Texans offensive line and sack Stroud a ton, or the Texans win a close one. And ultimately I went with Texans winning a close one. I think we still come out of this game. Uh, if the Steelers win thinking, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> three, and, they're three and one, but, uh, man, sure not happy, uh, uh especially on the offensive side. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but, uh, interested to see if the Steelers can run the football, uh, in this game. And if so, how they go about doing that. Yeah. Um, I, like you said, don't sleep on this Texans team. No one's talking about, they, they blew out Jacksonville. Jackson was everyone's trendy pick. Might included. Lord's just going to get it together. They're going to, you know, be contenders in the AFC and they may still be, but, Man, I mean, they they took it to Jacksonville, and nobody talked about how big of a win that was. Right, you're you're right, and uh, Stroud is Stroud the X. I mean, he's got to be the X factor for them in this game, right? For the Texans. Yeah, I think it comes down to the strength of the quarterback play because, like I said, the O lines obviously cut a lot of issues, and the run. I think they're going to run the ball better, but I don't know how well exactly they're going to run the football. And so, you know, it's a it's a Stroud type of game. And you worry about Tank Dell and those explosive plays. Yeah. And again, Nico Collins is another, I mean, Nico Collins is making some big plays for him. So, but, but Dell is certainly the game breaker that Pittsburgh and you know, Pittsburgh will have to show their speed. I think make of Fitzpatrick, he's my X factor for this game, because when you talk about rookie quarterbacks, you talk about rookies versus safeties. And, you know, whenever Troy was playing, it was always Troy versus the young quarterback, knowing where he's at, avoiding him. Uh, Mika's going to make some plays this week. All right. So we're on opposite ends of uh, 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 the prediction uh, this week when it comes to the Steelers. Now, look, I had the Steelers uh, three and one. Uh, you know, remember I, in my initial prediction, uh, I had them losing to the 49ers. I had them beating, uh, winning their next, the next two, their next two games and also had them uh, uh, winning the game against the Texans. So I'm going to stay on uh, with my pre with my preseason uh, prediction there. All right. Uh, we've run a little bit long here. Uh, not going to have time for any uh, reader emails. Uh, 
uh, today, Alex, here. But uh, we'll get back after it on Monday, recap the Steelers' uh, game against the Texans. Hopefully, we're talking about another W there. But uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steelers Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right, navigational bar. Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of, uh, of the site, uh, find the uh, ad-free uh, button there. If it's on mobile, it's going to be on that slide-out menu uh, over there. Just follow the directions that way. So until Monday, as always, thanks for listening to The Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. Alex. <laughs>